Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Rakaya Njai, an African-Canadian that relocated to Jamaica just before the pandemic to join her husband. Her journey required considering either to birth in Canada or Jamaica and navigating the systems of her final decision. We are grateful to hear her truth today. Hello, Rakaya. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Most definitely. Well, as you said, my name is Rakaya, so I am originally from Senegal, West Africa. Uh, I joined my parents at the age of seven, though, in Canada. They had immigrated there prior to that. So I've lived a little bit of everywhere in Canada, and I live with my two parents and younger sister through half of my childhood, I would say, part of high school and university, till I moved to Toronto. So I wanted to pursue my career, which I thought at the time was in the railway business or industry, I should say. Um, but that was shortly lived after I got injured. Um, so that was shortly lived after I got injured. So when I get injured at work, I kind of rebalance like my perspective about work and life balance in general. So I needed like a change of perspective, new horizons. So I was really looking to go somewhere else. So, you know, for me, traveling is the best remedy. So I decided I wanted somewhere that had roots, culture, good food, cult- like just go back to my, <laughs> you know, ancestors in general. So Jamaica was top of mind. I had never been, uh, I had tried to go before, but could never find anybody to go with really. And other people would just discourage me that it was, you know, dangerous, it was violent, I shouldn't go alone. So I had kind of left it in the background there for a while. And the rebel I am, I decided that you're, yes, like Jamaica is where I'm going to go then. So I went and visited uh, with the help of a friend. She was a travel agent. So she booked the trip, set me up with um, a tour driver so I could like go to different parishes, go to different attractions and really explore. Um, Funny to say that tour operator became my husband. So after (laughs) I met him uh, that year, we kind of were in a long distance relationship. So I was going back and forth as much as I could. And eventually he proposed and I decided to get married. That was December, 2019. And shortly after I was kind of getting ready to go try it out, go live there. I had lost my job a year prior to the pandemic. So I was already freelancing. That's when I started kind of doing voiceover background in movies and so forth. So I was like, okay, so I can work from anywhere. Why not go try one year in Jamaica? And here I went, March 2nd, 2020, and then not even 10 days later, the pandemic hit. So I don't want to use the word stuck, but I kind of got stuck here. <laughs> so that's the story of me and how I met my husband. And this one came later on. <laughs> that's exciting, though. I mean, you landed where you always wanted to be. So exactly. says a lot. Exactly. Well said. Well, can you tell us about your pregnancy? Uh, My pregnancy is a funny story. 
simply because we were not really planning to be pregnant. I, of course, we wanted to have children. Um, for me, it was the first year that was not the, in the plans or anything. I just downloaded an app, I believe, in April because I was very irregular when it comes to my period. I would have periods like four times a year. And when they come, they last like two weeks. So I wanted to just track them now that I was in a married status and I wanted to kind of track when are my ovulation period and so forth. So early December, like after tracking it for a few months, I get a notification from the app saying that I'm three days late. So I'm like, no, that's not possible. <laughs> so for me, I just ignored it um, until like my period was just not coming. So I think on Christmas Eve, I finally get a test and early morning on Christmas, I did the test. I couldn't even wait. So I just like went and wake up my husband, sent him to go check. And of course he doesn't even know how to read it. So he comes back with it and he's like, oh, what does this mean? And I was like, oh my God, we're pregnant. <laughs> and that's how I knew that now I'm going to be having a little one. And of course we're in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and the Prime Minister of Canada announced in those times that if you were to come as an international uh, traveler, that you would have to quarantine and stay in a hotel for 14 days. So that's when I kind of decided to wait it out and see if I really wanted to go back to Canada to give birth or if I wanted to kind of find out my options in Jamaica. So as you were starting that preparation, how did you land on your decision and, and what were some of the factors for that? Well, the main factor is when I was, the first trimester for me was very difficult. I was very nauseous. I couldn't hold any food. I couldn't hold any water. I was very dehydrated. Um, so I was recommended by my doctor not to travel at all if possible. So for the first five months, the choice was already made for me that if I was to go back to Canada, I would have to, you know, do the COVID vaccine. I was now in the second trimester, which was better for me. I was more energetic. Um, I was prepping um, pregnancy just by doing a lot of exercise, uh, stretching, breathing techniques. And then when time came where everything reopened, I was way past the line where I could travel and my family, who are, we were in Canada in those times, had lived in Texas for a few years. And they were also in the process of coming back to Canada. So there was not really somewhere I could go. I felt that I could settle down and be with the baby as they were prepping to actually move to a different province. So that's when the decision was kind of made upon me that I would have to look into the option of birthing here in Jamaica. So early on, I would say by seven months, um, I started exploring that, those options, even though it's so different uh, system-wise to Canada. So you kind of find out everything as you go here. You don't really get to visit the birthing place ahead of time or any any type of thing like this. All I did is go to my weekly or depending at what stage I was visiting the doctor, uh, doing the blood test that I needed to do. And because I had high blood pressure as well at the beginning, I was on medication for that. Tell us about the birth. Start from the beginning. 
Oh, the birth. Oh, I'm so glad we passed that stage. <laughs> the birth was such an amazing experience. It was more than I expected. Detail to detail, if I have to explain it. I was five days due, overdue. So it was 40 weeks, five days. He was supposed to be born on August 19, uh, 2021. And he only came on the 24th. So I started having contraction midday, like one-ish. Um, and for the first time, they felt like menstrual cramps because people always said that. And I had a lot of Braxton Hicks and they didn't really feel like any cramps. So that's when I knew it was contraction. And it was very like light um, and also the fact that it was come and go. And I had already downloaded the app. I'm, I'm really super organized like that. <laughs> I've already downloaded the app to count the contractions and yeah. see how far apart they were. So when it first started, it was already nine minutes apart for me. So became seven minutes. I, I got that yeah. notification from the gecko, like start packing, have a light meal and get ready to go to the <laughs> hospital. So because you're not really able to have a birth plan in some way here, I had a labor plan as a compensation uh, for my mental health, let's say. So I had planned to have a little bit of essential oil. So I started putting my peppermint diffuser on. Um, I tried to lay down first to see if I could rest. That did not work. <laughs> uh, I sat on my birth ball. Uh, that was okay. Uh, when they started being five minutes apart, it was not so comfortable. Surprisingly, what I found the most comfortable was having my partner at the back, uh, just swaying and dancing with me. Taking in a shower was also awesome. It really, really helped. But I was still in denial really about if I would be in active labor. I thought this would take long, you know, especially everybody tells you, oh, your first pregnancy, it takes, you know, a bit longer and so forth. Um, but for me, I found it was very, very fast. The only reason I was in denial is because I didn't really lose any mucus plug. I have no like bloody discharge of any sort. Um, my water didn't break or anything. When I really knew it was, I was in active labor is when I told my husband, like, I just saw some blood and like, it hurts. <laughs> like I can't really breathe through them as easy as before. And I had also explored a little bit of the hypnobirthing. So I was listening to that. So we got ready, packed the car. And funny enough, that same week was the first announcement in Jamaica that we would be on major lockdowns on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. So they were called no movement day. So we couldn't go anywhere unless it's an emergency. So luckily for me, he's born on a Tuesday. So when we were driving, it was probably 3.30. Uh, there was no one on the road. So we could just speed, even though I was telling my husband, don't speed. Don't, I don't want to catch any of the bumps. This really hurts. <laughs> but it was amazing. Bless you. But it was really amazing to be able to like just go through without any stress of traffic or anything like that. So we arrived there. Uh, as soon as I arrive, I tell the, the nurse, you know, um, I think like I'm ready to go. Bless you. Um, I'd like to be admitted. 
And then um, I I come in and I want I ask her if I can be admitted. So they check me. I was already four centimeters dilated and sixty percent phased. So then she asked me to go pee and bring the sample back. So I go to the bathroom. I bring it back. She dips in something and it gives her a palette of colors. Apparently, I discovered later on that it's to see how dilated I am in another way. And by then, I was already six just by emptying my bladder. And I had learned that, that uh, it's important to empty your bladder and your stomach so the baby has space to come down. So when I emptied my bladder, I was already at six centimeters. And then just there, right in front of her, my water break. <laughs> so they started finally taking me seriously because none of them were really mining me or anything and that's just in the culture here it's like oh you're just having a baby like we've done it we've been there <laughs> so then my water breaks and then I hear her tell the the, the tupper doors like okay she's ready to be admitted and so they just like pass papers to my husband and they're like okay this is what you need go register her you're not gonna see her again so that was another thing that I prepared mentally before because that was the dilemma for me birthing in Jamaica, knowing that I wouldn't have my family there. And because of the system here, it's not its not even because of COVID. Um, it's just generally like that. The men are not allowed in the delivery room. So they just drop you off and then there's visiting hours the next day. So I was mentally prepared to do it alone. I... As I said, my hypnobirthing was my companion, even though once I got there, it was too intense for me to be listening to anything. Um, so I was admitted, I changed. Um, and when the nurses uh, started their procedure, they were asking me, oh, so what type of baby are you having? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I decided you know, to keep it a surprise. And they're like, oh my God. So everybody was very excited. I felt like I had a great team around me because there was nobody else laboring at that time. There was only one woman, I believe, who they were checking upon her, like she was coming in and out, but she wasn't dilating. So they would send her back. So when she checked me again, I was eight. And at this point, the contraction are like back to back to back. And I don't know what happened to me, even though I think I was so focused on those videos where they said, oh, you you will feel the, the emotion to, to push. You'll feel the urge to push. And for me, I think I trained so much to cope with the pain that I was holding on to that part and I was too afraid to push so I was better off actually just like going through the contraction than listening to my body that this baby wanted to come out so I felt like I think I held it for a little while until the nurse was like yo the head is there like you need to push <laughs> and I'm like no <laughs> she's like you really need to push now and what was really amazing and makes I guess your birth story memorable is the support you get. And I think I had the best nurse for that moment. I don't think in real life we would have get along. But in that moment, she started threatening me. Like, I'm going to cut you. Like, like if you're not going to push, I'm going to cut you. I was like, no, I'm pushing right now. <laughs> right now. So I start pushing. And she's like, no, that's not how I push against this. Push again. And then I was like trying to push. And finally, I think after three push, they said I pushed 
I started pushing around 8.44 p.m. So then we're in the evening now. And by 8.59, Prince Ali came to this world. Uh, he was not responsive, though. He didn't make any noise. Uh, and I was just like, oh, my God, I'm finally done with this. So I didn't even mind the baby. And then the best part is the nurse lifting the baby and showing me like, look. And then I see like his balls. And I'm like, oh, it's a boy. <laughs> and then they just take the baby away. And then I think they had to shake him up a few times. And then I hear him finally crying. Um, later on they came to me saying that he suffered some multiple seizures and they were not too sure why so that they would keep him so I never got to bond or do um, how do they call it when you put them on your chest again the skin to skin yes so I never mm. got to do the skin to skin I just got a doctor that came holding the baby crying and say oh he you know, this can be caused either there was an infection at some point or like they were not sure. So they wanted to run some tests. And because of that, they would keep it in the nursery. So she showed me the baby and she said, oh, he's cute. And I was like, hi. And then they just left with the baby. So so that was my first night. Um, I mean, I was so happy that I had a natural birth because I, I mean, for a first time mom, you never think you can do it until it's actually done. So that was my first night at the hospital. And you're like in a room full with other women. So it's not like a private thing. It's really a going back to the roots of uh, the times where motherhood was really like a community thing. And you would get your neighbors, your mothers, your aunties, everybody in the room. It really felt like that to me. That's what I thought of when you told me that your husband wasn't allowed in a delivery room like my initial thought very american of me is what you know we want all our rights we want all the things we want right um but then i thought about it like but really that's how it was or, or still is in a lot of communities um where it is women's work right like we got you we, we got this and the fact that you had people there that were supportive and it wasn't just like I'm at the hospital oh no what's going to happen to me like you felt comfortable you prepared your mind for being alone in a sense of not having him there but you weren't actually alone exactly exactly yeah as I would say I just hold on to faith I knew that nobody really can help me go through this so I believe that my body can do it and it really helped listening to podcasts. It really helped to know that there's platforms such as your platforms. I'm really grateful for you, Danielle and Laurel for doing this because I think what makes it even more powerful is to go through it and then be able to go and release it in some way. So it was, it was great. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think part of it too helps knowing that, um, you are living in spaces where blackness is the norm um, and that the faces you see around you, majority of them were going to look like you, to have experienced life in some way similar to you. And there's not the same fear of the hospital of being a minority at the hospital or being, you know, the racialized person um, in the space and not knowing how you're going to be treated. 
Like I started thinking about that from the point when I was like, okay, she lived in Senegal, then Canada, then Jamaica. And like, you've had the experience of being both and knowing that there's, there's, there's comfort in being able to walk into a space and not feel like you don't know how people are going to treat you. Yes, I totally agree with you, Danielle. Um, I think that was a plus. And I realized that funny that you mentioned, because at first I was watching American videos on like labor and delivery. And of course, they're telling you, oh, the doctor, uh, the hospital will give you this and that. And then I was like, no, I discovered the cold truth in Jamaica. They don't give you nothing. So my mom was like, stop being American. Like, start watching Jamaican movies, like Jamaican videos. And I was like, oh, yeah. So then I started typing now delivery in Kingston or, and then, oh, I was traumatized, let me tell you, because they were like, oh, the nurse are not very nice. And I was screaming and I was telling nurse, nurse, the baby, I come, I come. So I was like, oh my God, like you have to like scream and make like to get attention because there were all the videos were very specific to if you don't feel any pain, nobody really bothers checking on you. But if you make noise, then they will check on you. Thank God that was not my experience. Yes, true that the nurse were a bit abrupt, a bit rude. But in the daily, you know, when I run my errands and everything in the first year, I kind of got used to that. So I kind of brushed that off. And I this that's why I decided to do hypnobirthing, just to be in my own little bubble and be focused and a lot of positive affirmation. I'm soon going to meet this baby. Uh, I got this. God is in control. So for me, I was in my bubble and that's what matters. So as you mentioned, Danielle, uh, being in a Black community uh, was definitely reassuring to be with family. And I got some great advice um, in general. I'm not sure if I was making the right point uh, when I started this story of mine. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I hope I answered the question. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, you did. It's not our story to tell. (laughs) We're just guiding. (laughs) Yes. But now I remember uh, it was me watching Jamaican videos and really realizing that I had to pack certain things that you don't really pack in Canada. I was not allowed a midwife or a doula, so I was kind of following them on YouTube, getting some advice. Uh, So that was uh, my main focus. But once I was more comfortable knowing how it goes here. And I got to visit the hospital, I guess, when I was going for blood tests. But other than that, uh, everything really happened on the day of. Thankful it was a great experience. (laughs) Tell us about postpartum for you. After you were able to take baby Ali home, how were things? Well, now I'm actually 10 week postpartum. Um, I would say the first six, seven weeks were hard. I mean, if we're already counting the fact they kept the baby for the first 10 days, so I missed the first 10 days of my little bundle. Um, And I cried a lot in those first 10 days because how could I carry a life for nine months and then come back home empty-handed, really? So that part of the postpartum, I was not really focused on my body, Um, even though it did, you know, it was hurting, I was tired, uh, but I had no choice. 
because my baby was in nursery and because the system here, you get released without your baby. Because to my understanding, if it was in Canada, as long as the baby is not released, you're in the hospital. And I would even think that's a good idea with COVID instead of having me coming back and forth. But anyways, it's different here. Uh, I guess there's limitation in space. So for me, I had no choice. Like day one, I had to commute every day, go see the baby, try to breastfeed him, uh, bring clothes because they don't wash the clothes. They give you the clothes dirty and you have to go wash them and bring it back. I have to bring breast milk with me. Uh, so breast milk was, uh, breastfeeding was very, very stressful for me. I, as I said, I, I focused so much on coping with pain in my preparation for birth. Um, I thought breastfeeding is either going to be natural or the baby won't latch and I won't have to worry about it. So I never really dive into the topic. And I guess it didn't help that the baby stayed in the hospital 10 days. So it didn't really latch on early. Um, the visiting hours are like just an hour at 9 a.m. and 1 in the afternoon. So that takes my whole day. And they expect me still to pump every two, three hours. So that was like just impossible. And I was just in awe, like on how, how am I going to produce milk? Like I'm really going to produce milk? Like I, I was lucky. I was pregnant at the same time as my best friend. We were two weeks apart. So she was telling me, oh, yes, just do some hen expressing yes the milk will come it takes you know a few days i was like but how what is the baby gonna eat <laughs> just like in the first trimester i was like how am i making a baby right now and i'm not eating anything <laughs> but her answer was good she was like that's when you know it's a true miracle so i i had a lot of difficulty in that sense that i had no babies uh i took, everybody was telling me to get some rest but I was just kept thinking, why is my baby in the hospital? So after the 10 day, after we get the result and everything, and I get back home, um, I was just amazed. I have a baby. I'm a mother. So I would stay up again, looking at him in disbelief. <laughs> so still not getting any rest. <laughs> but I was uh, just happy. Um very joyful for our family. Uh, my husband had a son already, so this is his second one. This is my first one. Um, and just all the other things that nobody tells you that's going to happen to your body. So I had a lot of baby blues um, surrounding the breastfeeding, uh, having missed the first 10 days of his life. And just a big lack of support in some way. Not to say that my partner wasn't there for me or didn't help. He helped to the best of his capacity, but just not having any friends around or any family and husband having to go to work and learning also motherhood from a male perspective when you think about it. Not to say I don't have friends texting me advice, but right here, right now is my husband. I'm learning through him how he does things or per se, how his grandmother used to do things. <laughs> so all that, I guess, friction and uh, emotion. And for me, I'm a big foodie. So as soon as I'm hungry, I'm cranky. And we all know when we breastfeed, we're hungry all the time. <laughs> so I, 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 the, pretty much I have good days and bad days in postpartum. 
And what really helped me is having my best friend who already had the experience. This was her second pregnancy. So she was telling me bad days are there, but they, they don't last. So once I got that frame mind, I was just like, okay, so today is just a bad day. Today the baby is just cranky, but tomorrow will be better. So this is a, really what helped me. And then once I started being less stressed and getting the hang of it, um, because I was breastfeeding and supplementing with formula, thinking, really, girls, hear this, thinking I was not producing enough milk. But then I realized I was actually overfeeding the child. Because when I stopped, actually, I, it's him that just started having a preference for my breast milk and just spit out the formula. So then I was like, okay, so he doesn't like the formula. I look like, and thank you. Thank you, Ali, for doing that. Because then I stopped and then I realized he was always fussy before because he's always too full. So he was burping a lot, vomiting the milk. Whereas when I stop, he's relaxed. He's giggly. You can hear him just now. Uh, I, he can relax on his buppy and just do his thing. But before he would always like move around because he wasn't comfortable. And then I realized I'm actually producing enough milk. And this is only 10 days ago that I'm breastfeeding exclusively. So bravo to me. Bravo. <laughs> Please make sure Thank that you. was recorded because I need everyone to know that. <laughs> Kai is currently breastfeeding this baby through this whole recording. Yeah, you need to hear it, that. Yes, ten days of separation, ten days of struggling, ten days of pushing forward and continuing to work towards this breastfeeding relationship. It will not always be easy. For some people, it is, yes. and we thank them for showing us that it can be easy. <laughs> yes, but we also thank those who struggle and persevere and and lean into the support, lean into their own knowledge, and listen to their babies. Right? Yes, yes, that's so true. It is a teamwork. Yeah. I think we tend to forget that. And for me, that's why I keep saying this baby was ready to come out. Probably he would have been born like six thirty p.m., but I was just <laughs> too scared, so it was eight fifty nine. But then I also learned to let go of that that thought because it brought a lot of guilt for me i was like oh my god maybe i didn't push him like fast enough and so forth but i'm just thankful we're both healthy both alive so that's what matters did they give you an answer about what was causing his seizures did they ever discover what was going on good question no um they had two tests to be done one was a brain ultrasound and the other one they had take a liquid from his vertebrae just to check if he was epileptic or anything like that so they were doing all those tests to be really cautious so if anything happened in the future so i was thankful okay let's do all the tests so i know my baby is perfectly fine uh but the system here the, it has to be sent to the capital and come back so due to that it just made the whole thing longer it would have taken probably just four days if we we're in canada um so all the tests came back negative that he was okay. Uh, so we just did the test to be sure, but there was no reason. Um, when I talk to some friends, I'm told that if labor is long sometimes or some babies just come out and something happened. But as I said, I guess it's his story, my story. I was six weeks overdue as a baby like my mom was 10 months and six days pregnant 
and it was a C-section. <laughs> so every baby, as my mom would say, have their story. And I was, this was his story, I guess. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big baby. <laughs> as a fellow mama wow. whose who's little ones tend to go over, that's, oh. the, that's the longest I've heard um, someone going over, especially since now, like, in America, that would never happen. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was in those times that would never happen. Now. Yeah, that would never. Yeah, we're talking the eighties. Yes, <laughs> she's fine. Right, <laughs> that baby will come when she's ready. She had a good. She got a good local midwife that was like, right. Everybody's she's fine. Good. She's good. <laughs> and look at you now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um something you brought up that I I wanted to kind of touch back on was um, you describing kind of understanding the relationship between you and your husband and his um, his parenthood, right? And I think that that's something that, well, yeah, it is something that comes out as we have our children with our spouses is how, how they understand, how they put forth their own knowledge of being a parent and then also like how they want to do it. And then how you all mesh together. And it's definitely a conversation that I'll have with, you know, our clients. Like, have you all talked about how you, your ideas of being a parent, what you think that should look like, um, what you think that should look like for each other? Because it is, it's, it's new. Um, there is no like real guidebook on how <laughs> there's a lot of guidebooks, but your own journey of how to be a parent. Um so being able to watch, learn, or sometimes shift um, our own thoughts and then also combining that with our partners can be really interesting. True, true. I think in the beginning, it was definitely friction. Uh, it was his way or the highway in some way, um, just because he had the experience before and I was a first-time mother. But once he saw that I was, I had the hang of it. Um, <laughs> he just like started, I think, learning from me uh, because we both were realizing at the same time. Okay, he's crying because oh my god, he was holding this burp this whole time, you know. Especially when it comes out finally, we're like, oh, okay. So we started being the students, and the baby became the teacher in some way. So we both kind of shut up and listen. So the more we listen to the baby, the better we did. So he would also realize when I'm just done because this baby doesn't really sleep during the day. Like right now, he's just, he falls asleep now. Yes. Uh-oh. <laughs> I think I just woke him up. But <laughs> he doesn't really sleep during the day. You can only catch him maybe when he just woke up in the morning. If you can feed him quickly or give him a nice bath and feed him, he'll fall back asleep. But once he wakes up, he doesn't sleep till 11 p.m. So for me, that's when I get fussy, cranky at night because that's when I'm hungry. So at first, we're not really having an understanding because I'm the type of person who don't want to disturb other people's peace. So I rather get well organized so he can still do his thing and relax when he comes back from work, get ready for the next day. So I was really trying to avoid to disturb his routine until I discover no, I'm having a problem of asking for help. I need to be able to ask for help. So when I started being better at that, then I see he's making the effort of just 
you just he can just look at me and say, oh, you want me to take the baby now? You want to finish up this email? Do you want to do some? I'm like, yes, thank you. <laughs> so it's been really good that way. Uh, and then we try to block some time for just us. Um, so he, we are with his son who's seven. Um, so when I'm with the two of them, they fall asleep, then we'll have some time at night. And as Danielle mentioned, that's when we'll discuss a little bit, like, how can he help me better in the routine? Um, like when I was giving him the bottle, I would say, oh, it really helps before you go to work to just make me a hot one and keep it by the bed because he tend to be fussy in the morning. But now he doesn't even have to do that. So yay, progress. But yes, definitely the partner thing is an element and you just face your own challenges as a person. Like if you're like me and you never ask for help when you have a baby, well, then you're going to have to face that. Uh, if you're not good at communicating your emotion, then you're going to be forced to do that. And as you grow, then the, it's easier on you because I really... They, they do say stress is a big factor in breastfeeding. So I really needed to eliminate that. And I think that was a big factor uh, by communicating better with my partner. I also caught that when you were talking about him and his own parenting knowledge and you said um, what his grandmother did, right? And that can be just a big part of history, right? Family history and the things that we pass on and pass down to each other, um, good or bad, right? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and everything in between. <laughs> You're like, we don't do that anymore to babies, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> but so stuff, it's, it's very true, right? We're not going to knock grandma's knowledge because it worked for them at the time and nobody got in trouble, but listen, <laughs> babies grew, right? <laughs> Totally, totally. And I think it's also just all the baggage that we carry. Like he has his own trauma. Uh, his personal story is he was abandoned by his mother by the age of three. So then he was like back and forth between aunties and it's his grandma who really raised him and everything. So he's very thankful for her care and her presence and support in his life. So I have to understand that as his wife, that she means a lot. Um, but as I said, I think the biggest solver was the baby. So instead of trying to listen to each other, what we think, because I could give my opinion too and be wrong and, <laughs> and we were both doing the wrong thing. So the baby was really the key when he told us, like, stop feeding me. <laughs> Even though he, he loved it. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe he had a bird, like, cluster feeding at first, and then I just assume every time he's crying is because he's hungry. So that's good for me to learn and to have more faith. Uh, that's, that's a big, big thing for me. Once I had faith that my body is made for this, my body can produce the milk, this is enough. Even if it's not enough, just put him on the nipple. He will, it will stimulate the nipple. So then maybe in a few days, it'll be enough. So it's okay if he's on a diet. Sometimes I, no, I never go on a diet, actually. <laughs> she was like, don't even let me put that out there because it ain't true. <laughs> 
like thinking of breakfast. I'm like, nah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Well, is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with, whether it's advice, resources, anything else from your your birth or postpartum journey? Well, to all the mamas that are listening or soon-to-be mamas, I would really say to have faith in the process and to have faith in the creator because at the end of the day, he's the only one that can give you the strength to go through this and he can guide you through this. Um, so trust that your body can do it and know how to do it. Uh, secondly, I would just say, believe in yourself. Uh, believe um, that you can have a positive birth. You know, this can be a positive experience no matter how it goes. Um, even me, like expectation is a big big thing. Like sometimes I have certain expectation and when they're not met, I'm disappointed. So there's not really any space for disappointment. I look at it now, as we mentioned before, it's a teamwork. This is as hard on the baby as it's on you. So if we as individual can decide to have an epidural or an induction to for relieving pain or having the baby earlier, then the baby should be allowed also to be like, no, I don't want to go down this tunnel I'll take the C-section. So you just have to kind of prepare yourself because my experience having to decide to go to Jamaica or Canada was all a mindset shift. I had to change my mindset. And like, if I was still thinking, oh, you know, I want to have that bed and I want to, the breakfast that I saw in that video that they served the next morning, because that was one thing, like I starved because <laughs> for some reason I didn't want to poop, <laughs> So I said, oh, no, I'm not going to eat anything. So from one-ish, I didn't eat anything. And once you deliver there, they don't give you anything. So I remember being in the bed at 11 p.m. and go see the nurse. And I'm like, oh, can I have some ice? And she's like, we don't have anything. And I was like, oh, my God. So I had to wait till the next morning to eat and drink. So again, being a foodie, very difficult for me. But believe in yourself, believe you can have a positive birth. If you have to listen to podcasts, uh, that really helped me. I don't really have any specific ones. For me, I was looking for, you know, Black woman uh, stories, people that look like me, of course. Uh, I found you on Instagram. I listened to a lot of positive birth and home birth um, stories. A lot of positive affirmation. Uh, if you like meditation, then explore hypnobirthing. Mm, that's really a good option to relax you. Breathing techniques are the key. Um, in the actual hypnobirthing, they help you do like divers, like techniques, how they breathe when they're like doing diving. Uh, yoga, which is something I practice very long time now, really helps. So breathing for me was like already an inner thing. And lastly, which is the best advice I got from my best friend, is just surrender to the experience. Like look at it as an outsider and surrender to it and just experience it for what it is and go along with it. Don't try to fight it because whatever you're fighting Really during the labor is what hurts you more like after <laughs> in the postpartum. I remember like holding to the chi- like to the bed so hard and then I kind of felt my biceps before even <laughs> feeling anything down there. So really just surrender to the experience and 
everything's gonna be all right you got this mama <laughs> thank you thank you so much thank you thank you for having me thank yes. you for this platform and thank you for just being yourselves and yourselves i have much love to both of you thank Aww, you thank Kaya. you and the little thank ones <laughs> <laughs> Say bye, bye, All baby. the little ones. Right. Bye bye, baby. Yummy. Yeah. To birth stories in color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com.